0: of the third kind
1: Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron and I'm one of your hosts. There are two other hosts that are joining me today of course, Daniel, yo guys, and Anna.
2: Hello, hello.
1: So, before we start today's episode, I just want to say, like always, we do not run any ads on the show or take any money from any corporations. So, if you'd like to help us out, then there's a few ways that you could do that.
0: One of the ways is Patreon. For only $5 a month, which is 16 cents a day, you can sign up to our Patreon and get an extra episode each week. These Patreon episodes are exclusive to members only. Today, we released a Patreon exclusive episode, which is over the murder of Missy Beavers. This episode is a good one. It involves the murder of Missy Beavers. in a SWAT,
1: <laughs> a guy dressed in mysterious SWAT gear, right? And murdering her in a church mm-hmm. at 4.30 in the morning and nobody knowing who it is. It's a good one.
0: But we have some theories on who it is. Yes, we do. Also, we have over 40 extra episodes, which is over 60 extra hours already locked and loaded for your listening pleasure. Such as... CERN, Glitches in the Matrix, Clinton Body Count, Disney Darkness, FEMA, and much more. We have a lot of extra Patreon episodes and a ton of extra blooper reels, which you get access to all of them for just five bucks a month.
2: Another way to support the show is through merchandise. Just teleport on over to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on the shop button. Then you can see all the merch we have for sale. T-shirts, hats, hoodies, all that good stuff. I just wanted to say that the money we get from our Patreon and merchandise sales goes to bettering the show. Also, I know things are tough out there right now, so if you can't afford a shirt or a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes, and that helps us out a ton.
1: If you don't want to leave one, though, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, Hans, whoever, or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. Also, one last thing, if any of you would like to reach out to us, then you can shoot us a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com. You can click on the contact button, and there you will find all of our email addresses. All right, so that's the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over the Gary Heidnick murders. So how this episode will go today is that we will talk about what are the murders, who Gary Heidnick was, the kidnappings and murders themselves, strange facts and findings, the theories surrounding it all, and of course, our own personal thoughts and theories. So with all that being said, let's get into today's episode.
0: One of the most grotesque series of crimes ever to occur in Philadelphia. He was an American murderer who inspired a character in the movie Silence of the Lambs. An individual who kidnapped several women, took them back to his house where he kept them captive and did unspeakable things to. Was Gary Heidnik insane, evil, or part of a mind control experiment gone bad.
1: Now, before we hop into the murders and theories behind it all, we first need to learn who Gary Heidnik was. So, Anna, can you start us off and tell us a little bit about him?
2: For sure. So, Gary Heidnik was born on November 22, 1943, in Eastlake, Ohio. He had a younger brother, and together, they didn't have the most pleasant upbringing. Gary's parents divorced when he was only three years old, and both him and his brother stayed with his mother for a few years. At the age of seven, Gary and his younger brother Terry both moved in with their father and his new wife.
1: These weren't happy times for Gary and his brother. They both suffered physical and emotional abuse from their father. One of the things that Gary suffered from when growing up was wetting the bed. His father would use this issue as an excuse to humiliate Gary. For example, Gary's father would force him to hang his stained sheets from his bedroom window in full view of their neighbors. Another thing that his father would do to both Gary and his brother is that he would force them to wear pants with bullseyes stitched on the butt of them to school. Of course, this caused their classmates to kick the bullseye That was on the butt of their pants.
0: What a dickhead father, huh? Super. But it sounds like the classmates were a bunch of dickheads, too. Yeah. Just because there was a bullseye there doesn't mean you had to kick it. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, that isn't the only bullying that Gary received at school. A lot of the kids at school called him football head.
1: Hey, Arnold. (laughs) Yeah, I was like,
0: hey, Arnold. Why do they call him this? Well, when Gary was a young child, he was climbing a tree, he accidentally slipped and fell 20 feet to the ground on his head. He suffered a severe head injury which left him with a misshaped head and his personality began to change and he became more violent. So that is why the kids called him football head. Now just a little side note here. Head trauma is very commonly seen among serial killers. There is a study that was done that shows a good percent of murderers, serial killers, have had a brain injury. This is just something to keep in mind as we go forward.
2: It's a weird thing. When I used to listen to My Favorite Murder, that was something that came up in so many people's history. They'd be like, well, you'll never guess what happened to him when he was a kid. Oh, he was on a swing, fell off, and smacked his head, had brain trauma.
1: It seems like it goes one or two ways. They become serial killers or they become geniuses.
2: Or vegetables.
1: Oh, yeah, three ways, I guess.
2: Now after all this abuse and bullying, Gary and his brother ended up returning to live with his mother. But things weren't great for them there living with her. Their mother was an alcoholic. And regardless of that, Gary continued going to school and being bullied. He didn't interact with his fellow classmates much and refused to make eye contact. Some classmates did try to become his friend, but Gary would always push them away. For example, one day a new female classmate asked Gary. Did you get the homework done? Gary yelled at her and said that she was not, and I quote, worthy enough to talk to him. God damn.
1: Oh, wow. All right. So now regardless of Gary being an outcast in school, he did make good grades and he was also pretty smart. His IQ was 148, which it's pretty good. Mm hmm. You know, even though he made these good grades and was smart, he decided to drop out of school in the ninth grade. And shortly after dropping out, at the age of 14, Gary's father convinced him to join the Staunton Military Academy in Virginia. He attended the academy for two years, but decided to drop out before graduating.
0: At the age of 17 and freshly out of the military academy, Gary decided to join the army. During basic training, Gary's drill sergeant graded him as excellent. Following basic training, he applied for several specialist positions, including the military police, but was rejected. He was sent to Texas to be trained as a medic. However, he did not stay there long. He was transferred to the 46th Army Surgical Hospital in West Germany.
2: In August 1962, Gary began complaining of severe headaches, dizziness, blurred vision, and nausea. He was sent to a hospital where a neurologist diagnosed him with gastroenteritis. Something else worth noting is that during this hospital visit, the neurologist also said that Gary displayed symptoms of mental illness and he was prescribed trifluoprazine, or stelazine. Never heard of either of those. Shortly after that, Gary was transferred to a military hospital in Philadelphia where he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Because of this diagnosis, He was honorably discharged from the military.
1: So after being discharged from the military, Gary ended up becoming a licensed practical nurse and enrolled at the University of Pennsylvania to do what he does every time, which, of course, is to drop out. And this time it was only after one semester. Mm -hmm. He then worked as a psychiatric nurse at a veterans administration hospital in Coatesville, but he was fired for poor attendance and rude behavior towards patients. In 1967, Gary purchased his own home and started hanging out at the Elwyn Institute for the Retarded. Yes, at this time, the institute was called this. Now, keep this institute in the back of your mind because we will come back to it later on in the episode. All right. So throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s, Gary spent time in and out of psychiatric hospitals and had attempted suicide at least 13 times.
0: So I'm a little confused about something. Okay. Why did the neurologist uh, diagnose him with a stomach problem? I don't know. That's a good question. They just say whatever. I heard gastro. I was just like, my dad had enough problems with his stomach and gastritis was one of them. And gastro is pretty much for the stomach intestines and all that. So I was like, why the hell the neurologist is fucking doing that? <laughs> Hmm. I mean, that could be like a basic doctor thing, but he specializes in the brain.
2: Good observation. I guess just to try to keep him in, because he was, he joined when he was like 19, so he had a lot left in him to, uh, to go. He shouldn't have been out so early, I think is what the military saw that he had years in him.
0: Yeah. All right, we'll just move on. In 1970, Gary's mother, who had been diagnosed with bone cancer, committed suicide by drinking mercuric chloride which is a highly toxic chemical of mercury and chloride. Now, even though his mother's death affected him greatly, Gary still hadn't acted out on his sadistic urges. But he was working his way towards it, though.
2: Six years later, in 1976, Gary sold his house and purchased another three-story house and rented out two of the floors. Now, remember that uh, Elwin Institute for the Mentally Disabled that we were talking about that he used to hang out at? This is where he met this mentally disabled girl named Anjanette Davidson. Shortly after meeting her, Gary and her started dating, and she moved in with him.
1: In 1976, Gary was charged with aggravated assault and carrying an unlicensed pistol after he decided to shoot the tenant of the house that he was renting out. Luckily, the bullet just grazed the tenant's face, not causing much harm. A couple years after that, in 1978, Gary had his first child, a daughter named Maxine, with his girlfriend. After that, Gary decided to abduct his girlfriend's mentally disabled sister, Alberta, from a mental institution. He went to the mental institution in Harrisburg and signed out Alberta, the sister of his then-girlfriend, Ann Jeanette Davidson, from the mental institution on day leave. Gary then proceeded to imprison her in a locked storage room in his basement. Alberta was then found and returned to the hospital. At the hospital, they examined her, which revealed that she had been raped and sodomized and that she'd contracted gonorrhea. Mm. Of course, Gary was arrested and charged with kidnapping, rape, unlawful restraint, false imprisonment, involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, and interfering with the custody of a committed person he was sentenced to three to seven years in prison and got out only after serving four. Wow. Little light sentence, don't you think?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. With all of this craziness going on, Gary somehow found the time to woo a woman named Betty Distop. He had met Betty through a mail-order bride dating site. They messaged one another for two years before he proposed. In September of 1985, Betty arrived in America and married Gary in Maryland on October 3rd, 1985. The marriage was pretty much shit from the start. Gary was constantly cheating on her and also was forcing her to watch while he slept with other women. Not only this, but Gary was also beating her regularly. Of course, this marriage didn't last long. And Betty had enough. In January of 1986, Betty told Gary,
2: Hey Gary, um, I'm going to go out to the grocery store.
0: Instead of heading to the store, she left him for good.
2: That's my girl. Good job. Get out of there.
0: Take take notes, everybody. That's how you're supposed well, to do
1: Well, <laughs> we won't be proud of her for much longer for what what she does later on, but we'll get to that later. Uh-oh.
2: Now, that mostly wraps up the history part of Gary. Of course, excluding the murders, which we're about to go over in a lot more detail. However, before getting into the murders... I did want to drop this little fun fact real quick that we didn't mention yet. In the early 1970s, Gary created his own little, hmm, cult following, you could say. He created a church called the United Church of the Ministers of God and initially only had five followers to start. However, Gary opened an account under the church's name with Merrill Lynch. He started off putting his 1,500 disability checks from the military into this church account so that he could avoid paying taxes on it. Over the next 12 years, he would turn that initial $1,500 into over half a million dollars through this church.
1: We need to start a church. (laughs) Theories of the third kind church. Hallelujah.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: All right, so we'll cover a little bit more about the church and the strange facts and findings, but now we're going to get into the murders. So this all started... In 1986, Gary had desires to have quote unquote sex slaves and wanted to create a harem, which, if you don't know what a harem is, basically it is a living space for a group of women who are all sexual partners of the same man. Basically, it's the same thing as a sex slave, but all the women live together under one house.
0: So, like the Playboy Mansion?
1: Yeah, pretty much like the Playboy Mansion. (laughs) All right. So, Gary had these desires. And this started his series of abductions and rapes. And uh, we're going to talk about his first victim, Josefina Rivera.
0: Josefina was a former sex worker and Gary's first victim. On November 26, 1986, Josefina went to work after a fight with her boyfriend. She worked as a sex worker in Philadelphia. She was used to sleazy clients, but when she saw a silver and white Cadillac Coupe de Ville roll up, she thought, this. John may be different. So she gets in his car and he tells her that he has a stop to make before they get down to business.
2: Gary needed some coffee, so as they sat there, she started to notice that, yeah, he's got a luxury car and an expensive watch, but his clothes were dirty and cheap. She brushed it off as they left when he finished his coffee. When they got to his place, he had a 1971 Rolls Royce parked outside of it. Again, she thought, you know, Maybe I'm in a big in for a big payday.
1: Now where things start to get really strange is when they get to the door. Gary puts the key in the lock, and Josephina notices that the key is broken. So she asks, Yeah, you know, why is the key missing a part of it? Gary told her that it <laughs> that it was in the lock, so that way he was the only one who could unlock the door. Mm. My God. Red, Red flag. flag. <laughs> yeah, go <ahead. laughs> my goodness. So she walked in, and uh, he had pennies glued to half of the walls. The money trail doesn't end there. As she is guided to his bedroom, he had the hallway partially covered with one and five dollar bills. So then she goes into the bedroom. He gives her twenty bucks, and she does what she came there to do.
0: So when you give your money to the church, this is what your money goes to, okay? <laughs>
1: he glues it He glues it to the wall.
0: <laughs> oh. They glue it to the wall. <laughs> My goodness.
2: To the window. Oh. To the wall. <laughs> what the fuck? Why do you have money on the wall? I, don't, I didn't get that part.
0: I guess that's one way to show off your wealth. Oh. <laughs> when they finish, she starts getting dressed and Gary comes behind her and starts to choke her out. She can't fight him. So she begs him to stop and said she would do anything for him to stop. He stopped, told her to get on her knees and put her hands behind her back. He handcuffed her and led her down into the basement. This basement was exactly what you expect a creepy man's basement to be like. Cold, damp, with concrete floors o- over most of it, besides where some dirt and plywood lay on the ground in part of the basement.
2: Josephina only had her blouse on at this time and was shivering uncontrollably. When she told Gary she was cold, he threatened to hit her with a piece of wood. He brought over a soiled mattress and chained her ankles with metal clamps that he superglued shut as well at the bolts. He then attached her chain to a pipe hanging from the ceiling. He made her sit down on the mattress, and he put his head in her lap and decided it was time to take a nap. She ended up falling asleep as well, and when she woke up, he was gone.
1: When Gary came back down... It was Thanksgiving Day, and he brought her an egg sandwich and a glass of juice. She didn't accept it because she was worried he would have tried to drug or poison her. She watched him as he grabbed some digging tools and lifted up the piece of wood that was in the basement that was on the basement floor to reveal a hole that he had been digging. So as he worked on digging this hole, making it wider, he talked to Josephina about his plan to get ten women pregnant and that he had already gotten four women pregnant. He used this conversation as foreplay, as he jumped out of the hole and demanded sex from her, which, of course, he got. And after that, he left and went upstairs.
0: With Josephina left alone, she managed to loosen up one of her ankle clamps and pried the piece of wood off the window and tried to escape. But the chain wasn't long enough. She hung halfway out the window and screamed for someone to save her. Neighbors were used to loud screaming and noises coming from his house, so they didn't notice her screams, but Gary did. He grabbed her and beat her with a piece of wood. He then made her go into the hole he had been digging and placed the plywood on top with bags of soil to weigh it down.
2: Now, this hole was not even big enough for her to sit in. She was crunched inside of it, so is sh- shackled, crammed in a hole, and made sure that she couldn't get out by putting the soil on top. Then, just to make sure that she couldn't scream and anyone would hear her, he decided to put the radio on a rock station and turn it up as loud as it would go. Josefina laid in that cold, cramped hole, with the music blaring, assuming that she would die there.
1: Alright, so before we get into this next victim, I figured we could take a quick trip. Figured we could actually go to where Gary lived and look at that hole ourselves. So you know what that means.
2: It's Montauk time!
1: It's time for a Montauk journey. Now, if you aren't familiar with our Montauk chairs, basically it is a chair that Daniel and Bigfoot have created for us that allow us to travel in time to witness events in person during that specific time period. So I need everybody to crawl up in their chairs, and I need you to set the date to December 1st, 1986, and then set the location to 3520 North Marshall Street in North Philadelphia. Philly.
2: Where I was born and raised on the playground is where I spent most of my days.
1: Okay. All right. Everybody ready? Yes. And go. (laughs) Whew. All right. Is everyone okay?
2: Yes. A little chilly, but good to go.
0: Uh, spe- Spectacles, testicles, testicles. Yes, I'm good.
1: Yep. All right. I'm glad you two are okay. All right. You're probably wondering why we're standing in the middle of the street, and there's this weird-ass house in front of us. Well, that's Gary's house. That's what we came to see. Mm. Okay? Okay. Oh.
2: That explains a couple things.
1: Um. So, we got a couple ways we could look into it we can break in or we can just go to the side window and we can see down into the basement where gary supposedly is at and his hole is at y'all just want to go do that
2: yeah let's do that i mean i know that there's a piece of wood over there but i have a feeling it might not be there right now
1: okay all right so everybody's got to be quiet we're looking through the windows
0: okay you see the uh you see that open hole yes yeah
2: that's really creepy
0: yeah I'm guessing that's Gary sitting above the hole right there
1: yeah it is right Anna I mean yeah I assume that's Gary
2: I think he might be tucking something but it, I think He's that's him got
1: a dress on he looks really
2: weird dude is that a dog in his hands it puts
1: the lotion on you have no idea what kind of hell I can bring out.
3: hey man i know that's real cool and whatnot but i don't know how the hell i got here but if you could answer some questions about some fucking conspiracies and get me out of this hole i'll call it even and you'll never hear from me or see from me again
0: oh for christ's sake
3: is
1: that hans down in there what the hell
2: i think that's hans man oh my god we gotta save him he i forgot
0: that he was traveling
1: all right we have to get hans out okay good gary's walking upstairs and his wiener is tucked. Good observation, Anna. All right, we gotta break out Hans somehow. We gotta break him out and get him back to the studio.
2: Think I could fit through this window that Josefina has tore off the uh, plywood from? I'll sneak down there, unlock the door in the back, and Hans and I will run out.
1: Okay, and then you guys go straight to the Montauk chairs, okay? Let him ride with you and sit in your lap, not the special chair.
2: Okay, damn, I was ready for him too.
1: All right, you ready? We're gonna push you through. Okay. Alright. One, two, three, push.
2: Ah. (laughs) Okay. Oh, shit. I'm okay. Hans! Hans! Dude, is that you?
3: Hey, sweet pea. I found myself in quite a pickle today. Could you please, uh, help me out? This dude's getting really weird with me.
2: Hell yeah. No one could play patty cake with those ass cheeks but me. Let's go, baby.
3: Oh, hell yeah. Let's get out of here.
2: I wasn't expecting to have you, so you're gonna have to sit in my lap. I don't have any special attachments in this journey. I'm sorry, but um, you get front row seats.
3: That's perfectly fine. I'll hold on to you like a child that needs coddling.
2: Perfect. My favorite.
1: All right. Well, that was interesting. Came back to the studio. Now we got Hans. We almost
3: lost you. You know what? It is what it is, but I may may have died, but I'll always live on in your guys' heads. But you didn't die this time. We can't risk
1: that anymore. We cannot risk you going out in the field and doing these risky interviews through space and time. Okay. Oh, okay.
3: Mm-hmm. All right. Now I mean, I got to ask, though. Did you get any good uh, theories out of them? or conspiracies from him? Nah, man. He kept tucking his uh a ling between his legs and dancing around and screaming at me to put this bath and body Works stuff all over my body. <laughs>
1: oh, I heard he stuck a road flare up your bunghole. <laughs> 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 oh, God, I'm going to pass out.
3: No, something right. like that. He tried. Oh, man. All right. Well,
1: I guess you're staying for here from now on. No more transcending space and time. No more interviews for you. You're part of the team. I'm not. I'm not allowing you to leave anymore. I'm sorry. We can't risk losing you.
2: We've locked the door, and we we only us three have access to the other half of the key. Oh, so you're stuck.
0: Oh my, <laughs> yeah. I like this. So you had to deal with Gary before, but now you got to deal with three of us. Oh my. Mm-hmm. And we're putting lotion on the skin. Oh.
3: Well, I guess we'll have to. Find somebody else one day to do on-scene reporting.
1: Yep, one day. All right, let's get back.
2: Oh, wait, let me just make sure that we clarify about the butterfly effect. The only reason that we didn't save Josephina when we went for the Montauk journey is because of the butterfly effect. We couldn't mess with history. When we're on the Montauk chairs, we can't change history. I just wanted you guys to know, we did care. We would have if we could have. But we made a promise with Bigfoot that we wouldn't alter history on these chairs.
1: Yep. No alter in history. Sorry, Josephina, but you survive anyway. Spoiler. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's continue with the next victim after Josephina.
3: All right. I've got this. So 27 hours later in the pit with the music still playing, Josephine started to hear a voice of a woman fighting with Gary. This woman was Sandra Lindsay. Sandra was mentally disabled, whom Gary had gotten pregnant previously, but she had an abortion which angered him. Jesus. Bummer, Christ. dude. Not is he a choice. he a thing
1: for, like, mentally disabled women?
2: 100%. Specifically mentally disabled black women is what his oh my preference
1: God. Oh, was.
3: Dude, what? Well,
2: ugh. Yeah.
3: Ugh. Oh, it is what it is, I guess. Gary had abducted Sandra and took her in his basement. He lifted the board that was covering the hole and grabbed Josephine by her hair and pulled her up out of it. Josephine then saw Sandra, a young black woman in only a blouse, chained exactly as she had been when she arrived.
2: Sandra seemed very unsure of what was going on and detached. When Gary left... Josephina tried to talk to her and she noticed that Sandra hadn't fully understood what had happened to her. Gary had met Sandra at the Elwin Institute that we talked about earlier. Sandra had told Josephina that Gary and her had known each other for years and he'd always been a good friend who looked out for her. Sandra also said that Gary told her that he was going to take care of her and her friends or take her and her friends on a great adventure.
1: So after an hour, Gary came back with some dry crackers and bottled water for the girls. He left the girls for another two hours before coming back to work on digging the pit a bit deeper. He grew tired of working in the pit, so decided he would get out and had sex with both of them, and then left them downstairs. The next morning, Gary brought them warm oatmeal, and for some reason, he seemed to be in a more joyful mood this day. But that didn't last long. Uh, he heard a knock at the
0: front door. Sandra's family was at Gary's front door looking for her. They said that someone that knew Gary said that they had seen Sandra with him. Of course, Gary denied it and the family left. This encounter made Gary grow paranoid. So he made the girls write letters to their families. He told Sandra to tell her family she ran away. He even posted the letters from New York to try to make the story more believable. Her mom didn't believe that. Instead, her daughter had never written a letter before and that it was really out of character for her. She wasn't falling for that shit, man. She wouldn't give up searching for her. Days turned into weeks, and
3: Gary only became more erratic. He didn't feed the girls every day, and he continued to keep them naked from the waist down. He would rape these women multiple times a day sometimes. When he was gone... All they could do was cuddle close to try to stay warm and sat in fear as they knew he would be back again. If the girls tried to scream for help, they would be punished.
2: Damn. Alright, so now we're going to enter in Gary's third victim, Lisa Thomas. On December 23rd, Gary brought 19-year-old Lisa Thomas over to his home. He drugged her wine and put her in the basement with the other women. A week later, on January 2nd, 1987, Gary abducted Deborah Dudley.
1: During her period of captivity, Deborah would try to defend herself against Gary, but was beaten and put in the pit more than the others. After Deborah's abduction, Gary further humiliated the four women by forcing them to have sex with each other and made them eat dog food. Then, on January 18th, Gary abducted Jacqueline Askins.
0: Now, remember the second girl Gary had abducted, Sandra? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, on February 7th, Gary became angry with her for disobeying one of Gary's demands. He decided to punish her by starving her and hanging her by one of her wrists from a roof beam for two days. During this time, she developed a high fever. When Gary decided to try and feed her, Sandra wouldn't respond. He undid her shackles and she collapsed to the ground, dead.
3: To get rid of Sandra's body, Gary took her upstairs and started to dismember her with a power saw. He put her head into a cooking pot, boiling it and cooking her ribs in the oven. Gary also placed her severed limbs in the freezer. He then fed some of her parts to his dogs. Now a little side note here. Some say that Gary fed Sandra to his captives and others say that he didn't. In the police reports and court records, it did say that there was no evidence of this, so maybe shooter's preference, creative imagination. You figure out.
2: Well, I know one thing that happened. You know how Deborah Dudley was very, um, she always challenged Gary. Yeah. Well, Gary decided to take Deborah upstairs, and when she came back, she was quieter than she'd ever been before. And seemed to be listening. And when the girls asked what she'd been shown, she said that Gary showed her Sandra's head boiling in the pot. Wow.
1: Holy smokes. What a psycho.
2: Yeah. Alright, so a couple days later after Gary sawed up Sandra, his neighbors started to complain of this horrible smell. This prompted the police to knock on Gary's door and, and ask him what the issue was. Well, He told the police that he had burnt his roast, and the police were like, oh, okay, and then they left. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, I could imagine what a burnt roast smells like, but I can't imagine what a cooking body smells like. I would think that they're different. (laughs) Meat's meat, I
3: guess.
1: So after that happened, Gary started talking to his victims by themselves. He would bribe them into snitching on one another, which kind of worked out to his favor. Josephina snitched on all the girls and told Gary that the other girls were planning to attack him and escape. So what did Gary do? Well, he went into the basement, grabbed all the girls, and made them deaf by driving screwdrivers into their eardrums. Now this was done so that they couldn't talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Wow. Goodness. Wow.
0: Oh, i just imagine that pain. Things get worse for the women. Gary decided to start electrocuting all the captives, except Josephina as torture. Now, Josefina would even help Gary in electrocuting the others, which is pretty messed up. But anyways, because of Josephina helping Gary, it gave her these privileges that the others did not. She was allowed upstairs to watch a movie, and she was allowed to do a more comfortable environment rather than the dark dirty basement hmm. so she got to get a better scenery
2: she was smarter than i think gary played her out to be
3: oh yeah she definitely was on march 19 1987 deborah was not minding gary this pissed him off so he filled up the hole in the basement with water and threw deborah into it he then fatally electrocuted her wow that's gruesome Gary then took her body and dumped it into the New Jersey Pine Barrens.
2: God damn. damn.
0: I was going to say, he's not getting any babies out of these women, is he?
2: Mm-mm. So on March 23rd, 1987, Gary abducted his last victim, Agnes Adams, to replace Deborah. Only a day later, on March 24th, Josephina asked Gary if she could be allowed to visit her family. Surprisingly, Gary was like, meh, sure, why not? Of course, Josephina went to her boyfriend's home and thought, and and she was gone for months. She came in, said, I've been tortured and kidnapped for the last couple months. And what does her boyfriend do? Tells her that she's lying and doesn't believe her until she shows the marks on her body. And then he calls the police. And I hope that it became her ex-boyfriend after that. So it was this call that finally got the cops to go over to the house again without the smell of burnt roast. And they finally saw or caught Gary. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. Let me back up. I didn't write this down, but this is what happened. So Gary took her to this boyfriend's house and parked at a gas station. And when the cops were called, she said Gary's sitting at the gas station down the road. And the cops showed up there and he was arrested. And he was probably like, oh, shit, that bitch.
1: Yeah. And uh, after he was arrested, do you know what he said? He tried to convince the police that the women were in the house when he bought it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they came with the house, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. He said they were with the house when he bought it. But, of course, that didn't work. So after that didn't work, he uh, when he went to court, he tried to plead legally insane, which didn't work either. So on uh, July 1st, 1988, Gary Heidnick was found guilty and convicted on two counts of first degree murder, five counts of kidnapping, six of rape, four of aggravated assault, and one of involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, to which he was sentenced to death for his crimes.
3: On December 31st, while awaiting execution, Gary attempted to commit suicide by overdosing on Thorazine, but he only fell into a brief coma. On April 15, 1997, Gary was scheduled to be executed by lethal injection at Rockview State Prison, but a last-minute appeal was filed, leading to a hearing to determine his mental competency. On June 25th, 1999, the state Supreme Court affirmed the death sentence. And then finally, on July 6th, 1999, 1999, at the age of 55, Gary Heidnick was executed by lethal injection. Who the hell appealed
1: that shit? His ex-wife, Betty, and his first daughter.
3: I can mm-hmm. understand a kid. Yeah. Because maybe he wasn't a monster to, to his daughter or I don't really know what the hell happened there. He but. didn't
1: have any. He The state took away his kids um, immediately. Yeah. So no. he never really had a relationship with either or any of his kids. Mm. But his ex-wife Betty was the one who filed that last minute appeal. Damn. And we get into that as to why, which is really, really weird. All right. So that's the story of Gary Heidnick, But that isn't all. There's a lot of crazy, strange facts and findings that we discovered while going through this. So, uh, who wants to tell us about the first one? I can do that. Alright.
2: We were just talking about how he tried to plead insanity. Well, of course when you do that, it tends to give you a lesser sentence. The thing was is it backfired really hard on Gary when his financial advisor, Robert Kirkpatrick, that worked at Merrill Lynch wrote a testimony about how Gary was competent. Robert said that Gary was, and I quote, an astute investor who knew exactly what he was doing. And another fun fact is that Gary had earned half a million dollars in the stock market. So Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Insanity plea didn't work out too well for him. No. He was just insane, and that's how he got the money. Betting on high risk. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I like that. All right, so this next strange fact in finding is about Gary's children that we were talking about earlier. And he had quite a few of them. Um, so he had three known biological children with three different women. His first, of course, like we mentioned, was his daughter named Maxine. And her mother was Ann Jeanette Davidson, who was mentally challenged and had an IQ of 49 and was illiterate. Whew. So, uh, after Gary's 1978 conviction for kidnapping and raping Alberta, which was Anjanette's mentally disabled sister, the state authorities took Maxine and placed her into foster care. Gary then had his first son, Gary Jr., with a woman named Gail Linkow, who was also mentally disabled. Gail ended up giving her son over to social services. And then Gary's third child was with his former wife, Betty Disto. And random fact... Uh, Betty didn't know she was pregnant with Gary's kid until she left him. Mm-hmm. What a shitty father. Dude,
3: yeah, he's really
2: shitty
1: yeah. and person overall.
3: Oh, yeah. No, let, let's not forget how
1: bad he is overall. Mm-hmm. Yep. hmm Speaking of babies, Dan, you want to tell us about this next strange fact?
0: Yes. The next fact is called Baby Farm. Gary re- reportedly told Josefina while she was held captive, and we quote, I want to get 10 women and keep them here and get them all pregnant. Then, when they have babies, I want to raise those children here, too. But he, he didn't
1: want to raise his own children? I don't know, man. That dude is weird. Almost like
3: he was mind-controlled. Oh, which we'll get yeah. to that in theories. Uh, so next one, Uh, there was a song actually written about Gary. There is a song by Macabre called Morbid Minister that is about Gary himself. Hmm.
2: It is. I listened to it. Well, I read the lyrics because I knew it was going to be metal and I wasn't into that. So I just read the lyrics.
1: Okay. You want to hear some of the lyrics? Mm. Yeah, I like to torture and I do it quite well. Kidnapped in my house, you'd think you're in hell. Your new home's a pit in my basement floor. Act up and I'll shock you with an electrical cord. Morbid minister, he's quite sinister. In his pit, you're restrained. All your life he will drain. While you're chained to my pit, you wish you were saved. But you cannot escape me. You are my sex slave. Inside of a blender. In your gourmet meal. Consisting of dog food and women I killed. Mm. And that's all
0: the lyrics to it. Wow. Well, that's deep. Do you see the cover art for that song? No. Uh, oh, no. I'm scared to look at it. No, I mean, it's it's like a silhouette. It's like a metal silhouette. I guess, well, the circle represents the whole.
1: Oh, and the guy going like
0: this. Yeah, about to stab a woman.
1: Yeah, okay. Wow. Damn. That's metal. That is metal. All right, so what's the next strange fact in finding we got?
2: Uh, we're going to talk about the church again. I know we had talked about it a little bit earlier, how he owned his own church, but we wanted to touch on it just a little bit more. So in 1971, Gary founded his own church and made himself a bishop. His church, like we said earlier, the United Church of the Ministers of God, was a way for him to invest his income without paying taxes on it. The church was headquartered in his own Philadelphia house, and the board consisted of one of his brothers, three other people, and himself. Gary's next-door neighbor said that the church had a strong attendance, but the majority of the members were mentally disabled. At the time of his arrest, the courts valued Gary's assets, including the church, at approximately half a million dollars. Hmm. They had
3: a cult of personality. Yeah.
2: And now we get a little bit more understanding on why we have pastures with jets and have all this money. Kenneth Copeland. Uh, Yeah, Kenneth
1: Copeland. I tell you what, man, that dude, if anybody's a reptilian, he is a reptilian. Oh, those eyes scare me. Yeah, they do. I can't be in a tube of demons. You know, when they're talking to him of, like, don't fly commercial. You think I can fly in a tube of demons?
3: Yeah, you think I could stand up and praise Jesus on a commercial? You just can't.
0: I'll blow COVID away. (laughs)
1: Jesus Christ. All right, so we'll go on to the next strange fact and finding. This one is my personal favorite strange fact and finding. I found this, and I was like, dude, this is crazy. This is, like, the definition of strange fact and finding. All right, so on August 9th, 1987... Police raided a local apartment. They found the remains of five women in a bedroom that had been nailed shut. Another body was found in a closet that had been nailed shut. A seventh body was found on the roof of the building and in the basement of a neighboring building. A mentally disabled man named Harrison Marty Graham was taken into custody. He confessed to the killings that began the previous winter, which was about the same time that Gary started collecting his victims. Harrison also confessed that he committed acts of necrophilia, and he had planned on abducting and killing more women. The craziest part of all this, though, is that Harrison's apartment was less than two miles from Gary's home. And officials denied that there was any connections between the two individuals in cases.
0: What? What the hell? This
3: yeah. A lot of bodies.
2: Had uh, Marty, or had Harrison ever been to the Elwin Institute?
3: I I don't know. Or did he
1: go to church? I don't know. Maybe he he was a part of that cult where they
3: got women and I don't know. My question is, how do you not notice there's a body on top of a damn roof? The buzzard has got to be ripping that thing apart. I don't know. That's a good question, Hans. You're asking the important questions.
1: Dude, that house
0: or apartment should have fucking stank. Or should stink. Really bad. Ugh. All right. Mm -hmm.
1: This next one is just as crazy. Well, not as crazy, but it's pretty crazy that nobody talks about this next one. All right, Dean, you want to talk about this last strange fact and finding?
0: Yeah. So, the last strange fact and finding is about an individual named Cyril Brown. When Gary Heidnick was arrested and charged with murder, another man named Cyril Brown was also charged. A newspaper wrote about this arrest and it said the following A mentally retarded man charged as an accomplice in the House of Horrors, Sex Slings, was released on bail Thursday after he agreed to cooperate with the police, and a judge ruled he was not a public threat. Authorities said Cyril Brown, age 31, was cooperating in the case against Gary Heidnick, who is charged with murdering two women and kidnapping and repeatedly raping four others in the basement of his North Philadelphia rowhouse. Brown has talked about one other homicide. And may lead police to the burial site of the possible third victim, said defense attorney Norris Gelman.
1: So, yeah, he was never charged, and he helped Gary.
0: Hmm.
1: Pretty messed up, huh?
0: Was he like the pimp of the woman or something? No,
1: he was more like the helper. Oh. And he was mentally challenged, too. Oh. So.
0: I guess they said that he wasn't, I guess, since he was mentally challenged, that he wasn't making the, he didn't know right from wrong?
1: Yeah, probably. Hmm. I guess this is a good transition to get into theories. And this first theory is called MKUltra. All right. So this theory is that Gary Heidnik was a part of the U.S. government's mind control program called MKUltra. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, man, you have no proof to back this up. Oh, man, it this sounds crazy. How could you think that? Well, let me tell you something, Okay. We found an article from the Associated Press that says, and I quote, Army drugged client says murder case lawyer. And it reads out, A lawyer for a man accused of murdering two women and shackling four others in a basement torture chamber says he obtained files that show his client was a subject of the U.S. Army LSD experiments in the 1960s. A year ago, police found three half-naked women chained to a sewer pipe in the basement of Gary Heidnik's house. After being led there by a woman who had said she had escaped, limbs of another woman were found in a freezer and a female corpse was discovered in a New Jersey forest. Defense lawyer Charles Peruto said he plans to argue during the trial set to begin April 4th that Heidnik was insane and the hallucinogen LSD had aggravated his schizophrenia. Peruto also said that the Army and Veterans Administration documents show Heidnik was the subject of LSD tests between 1961 and 1963, although an Army spokesperson said records did not show such testing. That is crazy enough on the surface level to be like, whoa, right? to be like okay there might be something here to him being a part of the MK Ultra cuz it fits the timeline and it fits everything that in regards to this project MK Ultra but there's something that adds to this theory something that adds to it that Gary and Jeffrey Dahmer yes the Jeffrey Dahmer worked at the same army hospital in West Germany immediately before being discharged they both initially applied for the military police and were instead sent to Fort Sam Houston for medical training and that there is a possibility that Jeffrey Dahmer may have been drafted into the same program as Heidnick. Another thing to add to that, Albert DeSalvo, the alleged Boston Strangler, had also been stationed with the Army in West Germany. And there's one more thing to add to this. Oh, awesome that there was a psychiatric report that was prepared and filed after Gary's trial, which is odd. The report stated, and I quote, From Gary Heidnick's history, it was clear that his first psychosis was facilitated by a near-lethal dose of a hallucinogenic substance given to him while he was in Germany in the military. That same note stated that, Gary's recalling of the four months with the women being held captive is very hazy and dreamlike to him. So what do you guys think of that? That he was actually a part of an MKUltra government experiment and that caused him to be like this? Do you think the U.S. government was the one who created these ser- these serial killers in the 60s, 70s, and 80s? Since they were so prominent during that time? Charles Manson was a part of it. Right? That LSD was connected to the military, that he was given to his people, Orange Sunshine or whatever.
0: Mm, They definitely seem to have a part into it.
2: It is weird that the late 60s and 70s had a, a mass amount of some of the most prolific serial killers that you could think of all were around the same time. And we have been able to connect people like Manson to having... Uh, MK Ultra stuff so the fact that you linked him to this just makes me feel even more that way and think about you know he had this mindset of I need to make the perfect race what if that's part of that programming?
1: Why would Gary say that he wanted to create the perfect race did he say that himself or was that something that was pushed by the media portraying him as like a racist the same thing with Randy Weaver remember when Randy Weaver then putting the plants outside with the white power signs and they had no connections with Randy Weaver.
3: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, all those uh, white supremacists up there. Yeah. So mm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Didn't Jeffrey Dahmer try to make people sex slaves, the men he murdered, like zombies? That's why he like drilled into their heads and dumped boiling water in it and all that stuff.
2: Can't say. It's been a while since I've really looked into his story.
3: That and he also he also severed one of their heads and kept it. And Ed Gein, look at Ed Gein, right? Well, that that was back in the fifties.
2: Or was it that far ago?
3: Yeah, he was he was like that was a long time ago. John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. Um, Ted Bundy. Yeah. The Zodiac Killer. Ed mm-hmm. Kempner. Yeah. Have you seen Mine Hunters? Any of you? A couple episodes. Uh, a little bit. I want to say a little bit. That. That shows fucking crazy.
2: The guy Especially, who they have that plays Ed Kemper. Yeah, so
3: good. He's so, on point. so
2: the most accurate. You would think it was Ed Kemper. Yeah. Props yeah. to you, whoever you are, guy. Yeah.
3: And if you ever want to watch a good documentary on Jeffrey Dahmer, watch uh Dahmer where Jeremy Rainer is Jeffrey Dahmer. It's pretty interesting. Nice.
0: I'll add that the- add that to the list. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Alright, who wants to talk about this? I guess this kind of this other theory kind of connects to what we just talked about. Who wants to say this theory?
3: Uh, Sure, why not? I'll take it. Occult masterminds. Now this theory is just not in regards to Gary Heineck, but to all serial killers. It is that all serial killings between the years 1968 to 1985 were masterminded by society figures... In an occult group.
2: Yeah.
3: I mean, he had his own church. He had a following. Ooh, look at Jim Jones, right? Yeah, I mean.
1: Connections with the CIA, too. Oh, my gosh.
3: Yep, and he, okay. he was from Indiana. Sorry, that's like really one of the bad people from Indiana. Things just keep getting weirder and stranger. Mm-hmm. That they do. All
1: right, I, I want to hear y'all's personal thoughts and theories behind this all. You got any, any of y'all have any theories or thoughts or?
3: I mean, I'm going to just say it. The military experiment such as MKUltra has like been linked to a, a lot of people losing their cool. Even some people after it, but more they're gone. Like their, their mind isn't what it used to be. And, you know, what else happened in MK MKUltra? Nobody will ever know. Because all that all that we know is it was just a mind control experiment, but we don't know the parameters. It might have not just been the drug use. It could have been, you know, physical torture, all that psychological stuff. And he was already, I guess, changed, forever changed from falling on his head. And that him progressively getting worse in the army... To being just, you know, what the military does if you get injured or they find out that you don't fit in the cog, in the gears, it's they just like, all right, boop, bye. You know, we'll replace you. You're just a number. And they kick somebody out that they could have easily admitted into a psychiatric ward permanently for how bad he was.
0: Hmm.
3: Yeah.
2: I like that.
1: What about you, Anna? What do you think about all this?
2: I mean, I really like your MK Ultra add-in. I am a believer that a lot of head injuries and serial killers do go together, because I've I've heard it so many times in different stories. And obviously, not every head injury leads to you being a serial killer, but the numbers but are high we're staring at you, enough.
1: and we're watching you.
2: Oh, ki- creepers! <laughs> Maybe I should just leave the podcast.
3: I might not be be proud of you if you become a serial killer, but I'll still love you.
2: Oh. Well, as far as I know, I've not had any brain injuries, so doing good in that department. But I I feel like this was someone who had a very troubled life, and and he didn't really know how to be quote-unquote normal in society. He was abused by his parents. He was abused his whole life. He was made fun of, bullied. And then maybe when he started working in these mental institutes, he, for the first time, started to feel power and in control. And he liked that feeling. So he took that and kind of ran with it, and it got a bit dramatic. And he, and because he was tortured, and maybe like you're saying, Hans, and the MK Ultra stuff, he could have been tortured in that. And that gave him ideas to dig a pit to chain him up on the by one arm on a uh, pipe. And he just played out what he had had done to him his whole life to other people.
1: Hmm. Okay. What about you, Dan? What are your thoughts on it?
0: I'm kind of along the lines with Anna here. I think that he had a superiority complex. He had a high IQ. Looks like he only targeted women with that are mentally challenged. He liked being in power. And I guess he wanted to have babies with them for the fact that I guess he wanted more people that he could be in control of. They wouldn't question what he said. They would follow every word he said. He wanted to start a cult. I guess he figured that since their IQ was low, maybe they wouldn't question anything he said.
1: I agree. And I believe how he was treated by his father played a big role in his superiority complex.
0: Yes. That would definitely play a huge role in it.
2: And he wouldn't care about their humility, like being half-naked down in the basement because he was humili- humiliated by his father his whole life, putting the bed sheets out to show how he peed the bed, and he peed the bed his whole life. Like, he had a complex from it. And that is also, along with head injuries, bedwetting and being, like, obsessed with fire are and, of course, like, killing animals are all signs that you're... Probably gonna be a serial killer or a murderer at the very least.
1: Bedwettings is also signs of um sexual abuse in the home as well.
2: Oh yes, yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And steroid use. Never heard of that? No, I've never heard of that.
0: That really does explain the stained mattress in the basement. A constant it, reminder. It it was his it was probably his mattress.
2: Oh shit.
1: Damn. Hmm. All right. Well, what else do y'all have to add to today's episode? You got anything else before we roll this out?
3: What a, okay? You know how he said that the the whole four months he was doing all this crazy stuff. He said it was a haze. Now you hear about how people they tell you when you do drugs, some of the residual effects of the drugs and some of the drugs get stored into your fat. What if he burned off enough fat that it just triggered this LSD and it just tripped him out the whole time? And he was does just LSD like,
2: does LSD cause a high sex drive?
3: He, you want to take someone to find out? No. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, baby. Experiment time.
3: I mean, uh, I don't know, but, you know, people have sex on heroin. I don't know how great it is. I wouldn't recommend it, but, you know, what if that, that's what happened? And, like, he was just burning off so much of this fat, and it just kept going that it, you know, went to his brain and permanently had changed it for that time. And he... Not saying that he didn't know what he's doing, but it's like devil's advocate. What if he didn't? And this was just all a delusion to him, but it turned out to be really real because then he was like, okay, yeah, you know, Anjanette, I'll take you. You don't usually hear a killer say that. Yeah. So hmm. that was just my thought. Yeah.
2: Josephina, just for the oh. listeners. but Oh, Josephina, my bad. No, no, it's okay.
3: How dare you?
2: How can you get the victim wrong?
3: Can I talk to your manager, please?
2: All right, Karen.
0: All right. Y'all got anything else you want to add?
2: No, that's all I really have on the episode today.
0: It's just, it was just one, me- he was one messed up guy. He had a messed up childhood. It just continued on. I just feel
3: sorry that he couldn't get the help he needed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel sorry for the women too.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. So I guess that's it for today's episode. And we usually run roll into Hans is on the scene, but. Of course Hans is with us this week. So we're not doing a Hans is on the scene. So that rolls us into shoutouts. I know we have I have some shout-outs. I think we're going to push most of them to la- uh, next week, but there is a f- couple people that I wanted to shout out on Instagram. I wanted to shout out DJ Rule 2001. Love you and I'm proud of you. Also shout out Harry M199X. I love you. You're so awesome. I also want to shout out uh Harvey wants us to say poggers on our next episode. So there you go.
2: <laughs> poggers.
1: <laughs> yeah. And let's see. Brissadina Cabrera. Awesome. An awesome tattoo you got here recently of your family portrait. Looks great. And then I want to give one last shout out to everybody at the Bite Right Lab. All you beautiful people. Shelby showed me the picture that you guys. Uh, took of all of you and your wonderful, beautiful Theories of the Third Kind shirt. Uh, you know, she said that you guys wear them proudly and you listen to us. So I want you to do something right quick. If your boss doesn't listen to us, I want you to stop working right now. And I want you to turn us up real loud. And I want you all to know that I love you and that I'm proud of every single one of you. Even you, Larry, I'm proud of you. I don't even know if a Larry works there, but if there is one, I love you.
0: If there is a Larry there, he's probably just like, oh, my God, he knows me.
1: (laughs) But, yeah, thank you guys for the love, for the support. I really do appreciate it. We all appreciate it. We all love you. Yes, indeed. And I'll swing on by the Bite Right Lab and get me a new bite of whatever it is that you guys do. That's right.
0: Yeah. New bite. That's right. Boom.
1: Give me something to bite when I come over there. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> all right um so anna you said you're moving your shout outs to next week right
2: yeah i was just gonna shout out a couple but for this week but yeah i'm gonna do most of my next week so i just wanted a quick shout out jason d and brandon from twitter you guys know you know why you're awesome i appreciate your love and support especially support you are amazing it means a lot to see the messages that you guys wrote. Um, so thank you, thank you. Uh, Moon Guide3, she made a Twitter just to talk with us. Um, I responded to you. I hope that that message helps and your astral projection journeys are smooth sailing. Reach out anytime. Join the Disco- Discord and direct message me if you can. That's kind of the easiest way to get a hold of me. Yeah, I think for. The rest of shout-outs, I will hold off till next week.
1: All right, Dan. What do you got for Facebook shout-outs?
0: I'm pretty much moving most of mine to next week. Okay. I do just have one in particular, though, to our Texas teachers, or especially uh, Lindy. I think that she's on spring break right now in New Orleans. Ooh, girl. Nice. Get you some of those beads. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> hey. Ooh. She's the one that was asking about uh, stuff about voodoo and, like, where she should Uh go visit, stuff like that. Mm. So I told her uh, the voodoo museum and probably avoid that one tour that seems to be uh, not very good. Tourist trap?
2: They talk about the history of, like, the buildings, but no voodoo.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. Who wants to go on that tour?
2: I don't know. I tell you.
0: And if it's the one I'm thinking, it's four hours long and it's $45 to...
1: To so. just listen about buildings? This We're building yeah. was made out of cement in 1822. Mm-hmm. I'd rather God. hear
3: that if I was in another country. Alright, Hans, you got any shout-outs? Uh... Them love games? <laughs> no. What no,
2: about no your no girl? This
3: week. Uh, which girl? Oh, <laughs> shit! <laughs> Bala! Don't let her listen to this episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, my awesome uh, girlfriend who let me set-up shop in her amazing closet while Mm -hmm. listening to R. Kelly's in the closet.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Nice.
3: If you all haven't listened to that, it's a uh, masterpiece of 2005. Nice. Recommend.
2: It is pretty amazing, but I gotta say Weird Al Yankovic's Trapped in the Drive-Thru is pretty pretty good.
3: Oh, it is. Nice.
1: Alright, so does any of y'all have anything else you want to say before we roll this out? Mm -hmm. Nope. 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 All right. Well, I just want to thank you all for joining us today and again, thank you for your support. You are amazing, every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan, Anna and Hans, you want to roll us out?
2: You already know. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts
0: because you are not alone. Boom. Nice. <laughs>